have these really, I don't want to say fairly scripted episodes, but we pick a topic in advance and we outline it pretty well, I think. Yeah. We have a few pages of notes going yeah. into the the average episode. So it might sound like we're kind of usually flying by the seat of our pants, but we're not so much. Until today. Well, <laughs> yeah. So we, you know, we do these really topic focused episodes, but we're always working on things. Like we're always making things. We're always doing game design stuff. Always. Always. It's just true. <laughs> so we were thinking of spending more time just doing a sort of catch-up report of the week, I guess month kind of episode. In the hopes also that it will just enable us to be better about our recording and, you know, episode schedule. Right. So we each have a few topics that we wrote down for things that we've been working on the past few weeks. Do you want to begin? Sure. All right. I want to talk for a few minutes with you about founder energy, which I don't know if this is a phrase that we've used on an episode or if we've only used it with each other. We've used it so much with each other yeah. at this point. <laughs> I'd be surprised if it never came up. Uh but maybe we should define it just in case. Okay, so do you want to define it? <laughs> I feel sort of embarrassed defining it. So we are trying in our own work and lives to embody the energy of tech CEO <laughs> slash founders. But without the all bad parts. Because <laughs> there's a lot of bad parts. Well, I... <laughs> okay, you defined it differently than I expected. <laughs> uh, okay, I <laughs> I'm not going to argue with your definition, but can I... I'm going to define through abstract example, okay. which is a terrible way of defining things, but it's the way that my brain defines things. So I'm involved in some local government things in our town and part of a city board that does stuff around fair housing. And I recently just threw city government, I don't know, schmoozing. Uh -huh. <laughs> it's like the first time I city government schmoozed. Uh, met somebody who, in a lot of ways, has followed kind of a similar trajectory to some of the work that I'm doing or that you and I have done. Like, one thing that we don't talk about a lot because now it feels like it was in the distant past was that, like, you and I in our early 20s started a community center right. in our town that ran for more years than it ever should have with yeah. how messy and unprepared we were to be like running a business that charged people no money that somehow ran for like five years. I, it is surreal <laughs> to think back on that. So, and someday, someday I do want to like do an episode about it because I, I think I'm at this point now where I used to feel sort of embarrassed about this sloppy, unprepared project that I took on in my life 
And now I'm like, oh my gosh, that was so amazing. Yeah. <laughs> we did something so amazing and we were unprepared and it could have been done better, but like, what an awesome thing. And a lot of the friends that both of us still have in our lives now are from that time. Um, but anyway, so point is, I met somebody who is also sort of in this, you know, schmoozy city government space who had also started a community center uh, really similar to ours a few years after we did. And my way of expressing myself in our conversation together was kind of like, yeah, I'm doing these things. I'm on these committees. I'm just like a little guy, though. I don't know anything. <laughs> like, I don't even ask me. I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, and this person, you know, kind of kind of pushed me a little bit in the conversation and was asking a lot of questions. And as I was talking, I was like, there's somebody here who's in a lot of ways really similar. And I'm talking about everything I've done and all of my accomplishments and just downplaying every single one and acting sort of embarrassed and uh, uncredentialed. Yeah. And this guy's like, I made a community center. It was fucking dope. I'm doing this city government stuff because I know my shit. Why shouldn't I? And I could have interpreted that as egotistical or something. But uh, uh -huh. so when we talk about founder energy. <laughs> yeah. Like to be clear, we started saying founder energy as a disparaging term for you know, unearned. Elon Musk on Twitter. Yeah. Or... <laughs> just, just that confidence slash energy arrogance slash narcissism of claiming that your work is the best and you're the smartest person in the room and everything you work on is the next coming of Jesus. <laughs> uh, however, just like you're saying, I think for me too, we both have a tendency to downplay everything that we do and say and think. Uh, <laughs> so... What we want is like just a little, a little bit, just to, to let a little bit of that spirit of confidence and energy and forwardness uh, to be a part of how we think of our own work. Yeah. And it's especially, I, I think we started to talk about this when we would see a role-playing game that had taken the time before launching a Kickstarter to hit a bunch of the like... RPG and broader game news sites with press releases. Right. And we we're like, whoa, confident. Yeah. <laughs> um, and when I say that for us to do stuff like that, it feels icky. I'm not saying that it's because it is icky. Like it's it's the way to get people to hear about your game who don't already know about it. It's that like we feel embarrassed and sort of crawly and averse to just talking to strangers in this cold call way about what we're doing because it's weird and it's so hard to know the language to use when you're like hitting up a stranger with the with I did a thing and I feel like we're both sensitive to the idea of somebody hearing us or hearing the concept of something we're working on and being like Ugh. Uh, just not hidden well, them feeling put off by it. That is such a discouraging possibility that sometimes we don't even reach out in the first place. Yeah. But for a founder, 
Well, a founder knows that nobody's going to think that because their stuff is the shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, why, why would you not want me and my ideas to be gracing your inbox? And if they are like that, they're they lost. Yeah. They don't have, they don't know taste. They don't they have don't, a vision. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the future is going to leave them behind. Uh, obviously, we feel that there is a going too far in this direction <laughs> possibility, but. Taking a couple steps there seems healthy because it does seem like on your way to that, there is just a stop of confidence and self-respect. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like right now the main way that we're trying to bring some founder energy is in cold call emails. Cold, cold call. It's okay to say a cold call email, right? Like that kind of translates. Cold email. A cold email. <laughs> Sending, you know, unsolicited emails to uh, game stores mm -hmm. and like bookstores to some game retailers across the country, just saying like, this is who we are. We are Turtle Bun. Here are, here are our games. Uh, maybe you want to stock them. Yeah. And it's been really difficult for us. We've written drafts and drafts of these emails and... I think I'm kind of settling on the side of right now, like, just like, there is no perfect tone. Yeah. Because also, these game stores are going to be run by different people. Like, there is... They're going to be looking for different things. Different some, things are going to connect. Yeah, yeah. Some people are going to want something really sort of distanced and professional. Some people are going to be put off by that and are going to want something that's like, hey, 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 party people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, So I guess I just wanted to talk about that for a minute, because we haven't... We haven't dived in too deeply. Um, generally, our hit rate hasn't been great. But well, uh, actually, well, I, I don't know that that's true. Yeah, that might because, not be true. Well, that's the, <laughs> the thing is, I don't know that we actually have a basis for comparison of how many random emails to random retailers <laughs> are supposed to get generate response. responses at all. You're totally right. Uh, it could be that the the answer is like if you did one percent. That's wonderful. Yeah. And we're in the like 5 to 10% of people writing back and being interested. Yeah, you're or right. Or at least being polite and sort of, even if the answer is like, no, I'm not going to buy any of the games right now, but email again later or just thanks for writing. Like a successful connection was made. Yeah, you're totally right. I don't even know why I said our hit rate isn't great because it is... It's a it's a thing to just send an unsolicited email out to a game store somewhere in Michigan. And I'll say that like the hits, you know, it doesn't just feel like somebody being like, okay, you got me. It's like, we're finding some people who are just delighted. And they're like, oh, this looks amazing. Absolutely. I want to get in on this. Like I'll place an order. It's It's friendly. It's personable. It's people that I would be interested in talking to more. Uh, I mean, I don't know how much more of a success there really even could be than those examples. One thing that I'll say again is that we said this before on an episode, like, does anybody have any places? You know, do you have a friendly local game store that you love? The hit rate is definitely higher when we can say at the beginning of the email, like somebody recommended that we make a connection as a place that might like our games. Um, Which, you know, we could lie about. <laughs> no, 
that would be the founder energy. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a step too far? Maybe. Yeah. yeah well, we won't. <laughs> um, so yeah. So I mean, one one hit recently was Outsider Comics in Seattle, Washington, because a friend had said like, I stopped into this place and it just seems like your your guys's jam, and we sent them an email to that tune and they were so nice and then they got a bunch of our games and so if you are in seattle go and support them because they've just been so cheery and personable and it's a worker owned store isn't that rad oh is it i didn't actually realize that oh yeah go support them so cool yeah but it takes you know it takes some you write that email and then you send it off and you have to kind of go shake out the anxiousness a little bit of being like how did that come off you know how did like hello my name is hannah i am part of turtle bun a two-person game company we have made a game (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's weird it's very weird it's like right on the line of like, am I a human being or am I a machine? <laughs> yeah. And I even, you know, I had appended to the end of one version of our letter that I haven't sent out yet. Something like, I know these emails normally, you know, can come off as sort of robotic or, and I was like, even that comes across as like marketing. As, right. As because shilling. there is a marketing yeah. version, which is, <laughs> is insisting that I'm not like other marketers. <laughs> Oh, so that's I'm I'm glad we're doing it though. I think it's good. I just think it's good. For me it's it's been helpful to just imagine connecting with just people who are delighted by who we are and what we're making and try not to think too much about the people who aren't. <laughs> but there are some people where they're just going to be grateful and they'll think it's cool that book that game designers that bookmakers are talking to them directly uh and so that's who we want to reach yeah what uh what's a topic that you want to talk about uh how do you feel about talking about gutenberg a little i'm up for it wait can we use the word gutenberg (laughs) at this stage in the project yeah yeah Yeah, we can. Because this is like the brainstorm stage. Yeah. Okay. So Project Gutenberg is a volunteer-run online organization that is transcribing old, out-of-copyright texts and making digital versions of them as a freely accessible archive, which is awesome. I mean, it's just... It's very cool. I've done a little bit of the volunteer work, just a smidge, not enough to like, don't give me cred or anything, but it's like, (laughs) I've tried it and it's fun to be looking at these scans of old books and writing out the actual text and, and it's divided up, not even by book by book, but page by page will be assigned to you. And you might not get the same book after you finish a certain page. So you're just like jumping from genres and snippets and fun time and a really cool endeavor. But all of the works are out of copyright, you know, so they are potentially just available to publish or remix or use in any way. So you found some really interesting old books. Yeah. I mean, so for years, I've been familiar with Project Gutenberg and 
early on, I I think one of the first things that I had really enjoyed reading there were old um, cookbooks. Yeah. Um, from the you know sometimes dating back to like the 1700s, but some really old cookbooks. And from cookbooks, I had discovered old uh, like instruction manuals for mixing tonics and perfumes and poultices. <laughs> right. And those those were really fun. So recently dipped back in because in the past year and a half of the pandemic, I dove deep into the world of fragrance and perfumery and have become just absolutely absolutely obsessed with exploring sense of smell and especially like on the fringes of what is considered a good or acceptable smell. Yeah. Uh, because my relationship going into investigating like modern perfumery, especially as somebody who gets chronic migraines, was like perfumes are something that people wear to be rude at me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, or colognes are something, you know, or traditional like men's colognes are something that people wear to be uh, sexy bros. I right. don't know. I, yeah. And, you know, now diving in, I've discovered that there's just this whole world of scents that tell stories. And it's so fun. I mean, it's I, I don't even want to say it's bordering on an obsession now. It's like I am I'm deep into the obsession zone. I've taken you and a few other friends down with me. Which has been fantastic. <laughs> I mean, it feels like unlocking a whole sense that I had written off as just being like, I guess smells are for dish detergent, you know? Yeah. It's so amazing. Also for both of us. I mean, you know, they say that once you start to tune into smells and pick apart notes in perfumery, your sense of smell gets better. For both of us, I know that's the case. It's a mixed blessing. <laughs> it is. Uh, <laughs> yes, just yesterday, and then I'll, I'll get back on topic, but just yesterday I had the best experience of a car driving by while I was walking with a friend and the person's perfume, I mean, this is some like, you know, perfume story of a murderer shit, but like the person's perfume in the car left a trail and I immediately recognized what perfume it was. Yo. From this passing car going like 40 miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a more popular one. <laughs> but I was like, oh, Dolce & Gabbana Light Blue. Just like a little hit of it. This really is just one step away from <laughs> solving crimes. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I had remembered uh, like uh, two months ago or something like, oh, yeah, there are these weird perfume and poultice tomes on Project Gutenberg. And now that I have this new fascination, I wonder how these are going to read to me now. So you and I dove into them. And yeah. Uh, yeah, what 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 resulted? I mean, they're very funny. Uh, there's the language in them is delightful and strange and the ingredients listed go in and out of things that are recognizable to ingredients that sound just absolutely made up. And when the authors go on diatribes, <laughs> I, it's stunningly good. Uh, 
there's this I one... feel like we should do a reading of just like a little example. All right. So I pulled up a passage. This is the beginning of a book on perfumes where the author is arguing for the importance of perfumes. What's the book? The book is The Art of Perfumery and the Method of Obtaining the Odors of Plants with Instructions for the Manufacture of Perfumes for the Handkerchief, Scented Powders, Odorous Vinegars, Dentrifices, Pomatums, Cosmetiques, Perfumed Soap, etc. With an appendix on the color of flowers, artificial fruit essences, etc., etc. Good. <laughs> titles. <Yeah. laughs> Man, titles have really stepped down. Titles the have years. stepped down. The patrons of perfumery have always been considered the most civilized and refined people of the earth. If refinement consists in knowing how to enjoy the faculties which we possess, then we must learn not only how to distinguish the harmony of color and form in order to please the sight, the melody of sweet sounds to delight the ear, the comfort of appropriate fabrics to cover the body, and to please the touch. But the smelling faculty must be shown how to gratify itself with the odiferous products of the garden and forest. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. <laughs> so this gave us an idea. It's an idea we've been playing around with for years in different forms of taking one of these books and recutting it and rehashing it into a role-playing game supplement piece. I would say that's one of many ideas we've had of how to use these things. Yeah. Uh, another idea has been to just straightforwardly bring it back to print, print it as is. Yeah. So this is, we've been going back and forth about this over the past few weeks because, you know, some of these texts, you start to read these texts and you have a line like that where you're like, oh, this is so floridly written and so funny. And then you read it, you know, 400 pages later, like it gets a little dry. Right. It's a little repetitive. And when there's like a hundred recipes for like, you know, a salve to soothe the gums <laughs> and it's like, apply garlic to the gums, apply charcoal to the gums, apply tobacco to the gums. <laughs> like, okay, okay, okay. Um, so people are publishing these books. You can usually order them for very expensive you know, $50 yeah. or something, where people have put in the barest amount of effort to make them readable. So you can get a, a copy that's, you know, 40, 50 bucks that has margins that like text that stretches to the edge of the page. Yeah. So one idea is just like, some of these books are great. And we should be here making a copy that's beautiful, or at least readable. Like, incidentally, through the experience of making the games that we've made, we've gotten somewhat adept at laying out books. Yeah. And with this low bar to clear, it feels like we could make some relatively gorgeous editions of these old books. However, it starts to get, it's a little tricky to define what it means to straightforwardly print the text. Yeah. Uh, even if the ideas were just republishing the book we're putting it back in circulation the amount of formatting 
the amount of illustrations, the whether we do corrections or not, whether we add footnotes and explanations, do we get an introduction? Do we add definitions? Do we add a warning to not try this? (laughs) This is dangerous. This is made of lead. This is, yeah. I mean, there's one, like, now that this is a topic that I'm more familiar with, you read and like, there are really interesting mistakes in the book. Um, One of them that's a theme in a lot of these old perfumery books that we've found on Project Gutenberg is the debates around the origin of the mysterious substance of ambergris. So ambergris is, people will describe it as like whale puke. Uh That's not like, I I think that's not totally accurate, but it is something that comes up from the bleh of whales. And it's this putrid sort of oceanic smelling substance that is one of the rarest and most expensive ingredients in perfumery. Um, and now like a legal, you know, in the, you, you can't just go and you can't just go harvest. Like even if you find ambergris, you could be hurt for just walking around with ambergris because there's people who are looking for ambergris, like a lump of ambergris is like $30,000, you know, a tiny little lump that you can hold in your hands. Uh, So like, you know, somebody could like kill you (laughs) if you're just walking around with ambergris. So a lot of these perfumers in these books are like, ambergris, which likely falls from trees into the ocean. Some people say it may come from the belly of whales, but this is a wild fantasy that we know not to be true. That's fascinating. Do you know, like, if if you find wild ambergris, is it like a floating little chunky substance? Is it on the, is it? Is it like a little a film that you... Usually people will find it like washed up on the shore and I'd have to look. I I, I think it looks like kind of a gross little marble, like a marble, but nasty. <laughs> but I should look nice. up a picture. I'm going to look up a picture while we're talking. Okay, well, it looks it looks different in some of these pictures. I would say it's like a kind of a calcified looking lump of I don't want to be really gross. Um sometimes it looks calcified and kind of not gross like a rock. Sometimes it looks pretty gross. I'm going to show you a picture Evan. Yeah. <laughs> like how would you describe that without really grossing people out? <laughs> uh a dog's breakfast. <laughs> yeah, but like hardened anyway. <laughs> I don't want to be gross. So 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 what we end up finding is that there's a bunch of tempting ways to add to the text and ways that we just think make it more appealing and make it an easier pitch if we were going to bring it to Kickstarter, because otherwise it is really a collector's item. If it's printed straightforwardly, there are there are some lines to like, but it's not usable as an instruction manual, and the majority of it uh, is repetitive, and you know the the joke can wear out. Yeah. After page three hundred, it would be expensive to produce, and in that version of it, the production would be for collectors, meaning we'd want like a hardcover or something really nice, probably just some some very snazzy looking edition. 
and and that starts to get away from what's most appealing to us. So we've had a lot of conversations over the last few weeks about other ways we could use the raw text. Yeah. And when I said at the beginning, like, can we even say Project Gutenberg, Project Gutenberg has a license that can seem kind of strict just in terms of like whether you can append the word Project Gutenberg to your project or not. And the rule is kind of like, if you are publishing a text exactly as is, and you would like to charge for copies, you can say it's from Project Gutenberg and pay them a 20% royalty. Is that That's it? That's right. Yeah. Which is, you know, seems high, but I think that they're do. I mean, this stuff wouldn't exist. This These things would have disappeared without them. However, you're not allowed to make any modifications. Any modifications at all, which that's even a little, sometimes that's confusing because even the versions of the text that have ended up on Project Gutenberg have like images that are barely legible. And you're like, should I carry over this like JPEG that's (laughs) been blown up 50 times? That's clearly not the original version. And so figuring out how to work with that license has been part of the conversation. Uh, Where we're at currently is thinking about making a uh, abridged version of some of these tomes with, with a series of sort of appendices and listing of contents to make them more searchable and perhaps footnotes spread throughout to add some context or just interesting facts about what is here and present it as a role-playing game aid as just sort of a, like how to make a specific, uh, give, give me an example of what you might make. Uh, an elixir of life, a, a wound healing thing. Um, and you, something you'll flip to, to that page. The fairer sex. Yes. <laughs> you flip to that page and you'll get a list of bizarre, hilarious ingredients and, you know, your quest begins. It seems legitimately funny and like a really, like I could imagine actually wanting to bring that to a table with whatever role-playing game uh, just for inspiration from time to time. Yeah. I mean, it's great because it could start a quest or just be sort of flavor text, you know, like I have an injury and you right. flip and you're like, this is what we're going to use for it. And that is what would have been used for it. Maybe. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. What one guy thought you should use for it. (laughs) That said, we also really love the sort of, we love these books as historical artifacts. So we're imagining applying the layout that we designed for the book to an unabridged version as well that would not be printed, but just digitally distributed with the more usable, entertaining version. That's where we're at currently. It is not, it's not the top of the queue for the next projects we take on, but it's led to just a ton of very fun conversations and pieces of research over the past few weeks. Yeah. So I'm really excited about that. I think we're pretty realistic about the fact that this project can't rise to the top. Yeah. You know, there's some things that have to be, there's a queue. We have to go through the queue first. 
but it's very fun. Yeah, I'm I'm eager to get to it as a side project. So what uh yeah, what should our final what's our I feel like rules of three is kind of reasonable for what we've been working on. Well, we each chose one, so let's let this one be a collaborative choice. Okay. I'm gonna count to three and then you just shout what you want to talk about. <laughs> okay, one second. Well, I have to think. Also, there's like these little birds outside the window. I don't know if they've been coming through the mic or not, but there's like a lot of little birds outside the window. So maybe if you hear birds, um, I was going to say, sorry. Yeah, enjoy. Lucky you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You shouldn't be so lucky. Uh, Okay, you're going to count to three? Mm -hmm. Wait, then are we going to talk about the thing at the same time? (laughs) We're just going to say the thing we want to talk about. Uh, and if it's different, then yeah, we'll just discordantly each talk about it at the same time from then on. Oh, okay. That sounds good. <laughs> One, two, three. Pie Work girl. day reorganizing. Yours is better. <laughs> I just don't want to burn people out talking about <laughs> nose and scent related things. I, I believe in our listeners. Deal with <laughs> I think they can handle it. <laughs> All right, let's close out talking about Pie Girl. Pie Girl is another uh, side project in our queue. Higher up in the queue, though. Yeah, we're going up. Yeah. <laughs> we're not at the top yet. The top we won't get to in this episode. But uh, Pie Girl is another perfume-inspired project. In this case, it is inspired by the incredible reviews left on perfumes online. (laughs) People who review fragrances are a special type. Um, So, okay, so here's here's an unfortunate thing. The most common place to find really well-written fragrance reviews is a site called Fragrantica that is buggy. It's kind of, I I mean, it looks like an absolute relic from the 90s. Worse than that, though, it's it's run by some folks that are like pretty far right. Mm -hmm. And You've even had like a series of rotating banners that like one was sort of like a free Julian Assange banner. I don't know if it's still up there, but the there's been a banner that sort of is like kind of a uh, nod to anti-vax stuff. So like <laughs> a site that I would like to not drive traffic to. Did you um, say that it smells fishy? <laughs> it smells a little fishy. Yeah. The ambergris is ripe on that <laughs> site. <laughs> Um, and you know, unfortunately it's also just like, there's not that many places online where people are going to catalog and review fragrances. We're going to, we're going to have to sort of plumb the depths of the internet to find other places to get reviews. So what gave us the idea for Pie Girl was that sometimes when people review fragrances, they describe a fragrance in the sense of like a specific type of person. So one common one, you know, that's like, would be like, this is for douches, (laughs) or or like, you know, this is for people who aren't rich, but want to seem it. This is for somebody who peaked in high school, but doesn't realize it. Whatever. Those are characters. But then we get into really weird people, really weird fantasy people. 
And so what what gave us the idea for Pie Girl was that I had found a review for a fragrance that started out, and I I don't have it in front of me, but I'm pretty sure the first line. I mean, okay, let's get it in front of us. I do. Yeah, it's right on my phone. I took a screenshot. Let me just grab it. We're doing some readings today. That's fun. Yeah, I know. I guess this is what we get in a more sort of spontaneous episode. All right, let me just scroll up a few scrolls and find... Oh, yeah. Oh, it's so good. Okay, this is from uh, user Jay Kittrell on Fragrantica, left May 11th, 2023. It goes, this is for girls who are always in goblin mode. Picture a goth Winx Club OC stealing a cherry pie that's cooling on a windowsill in a Thomas Kincaid painting and then scurrying on all fours back to her cave. Scurrying is spelled surrying, but I made an edit there. She can unhinge her jaw like a snake and eats every meal like Saturn devouring his son. (laughs) The Thomas Kincaid villagers fear this creature. And you know the main antagonist of the 1984 board game Candyland? Yeah, Lord Licorice. Well, she's dating him, buddy. I imagine Grimes puts this on instead of taking a bath. It's great. (laughs) I mean... Incredible. Amazing. So we read that and we're like, we're we're not ready to leave Pie Girl behind. Ever. Pie Girl needs to come with us into the future. <laughs> like, Pie Girl needs to come to life. So we've been talking about ways to make a game, or at least make characters that embody these perfume descriptions. Another big part of our conversations over the past few weeks. We considered making sort of character sheets for a specific game or for no specific game that could just be used in people's play however they like. We talked about making unique games to fit the theme of weird smell people. (laughs) And currently where we're at is imagining this is a hack of Damn the Man, Save the Music. So a unique game based on one of our existing ones in which we can explore the <laughs> personalities and behaviors of Pie Girl. <laughs> Pie Girl and her and another cast of characters who will be all inspired by our discovering some wild fragrance reviews. You want to talk about any you want to go into like how that hack is looking currently do you or do you want to like play coy no let's well we'll yeah let's talk about it a little bit because you know it can be a little bit of a plug too um i mean the the brief idea is that it's like damn the man save the music takes place at this record store where you have one day to save your record store from being taken over by the man in this game, which doesn't have a title yet, you were a bunch of like nasty freaking little ghosts. I said freaking because I think that explicit so far we've episode. done a good job <laughs> not <laughs> making it explicit. But I freaking doesn't cut it. It's such a it's such a like <laughs> you're a bunch of nasty little ghosts. Like you are sick little fucking ghosts. <laughs> Grossest nasty little balls of disgusting spirit energy inhabiting 
you know, some type of hotel or something that's going to be bought out by developers, some kind of historic building where you have been here for generations and generations, refusing to be wrenched from the physical plane uh, into whatever lies for you hereafter uh, because you are are stuck in limbo. And, uh, you know, you're going to be trying to haunt out the de- developers who are here to redo your hotel. I don't know. What do developers do? They flip it. They flip it. Flip it. Yeah. Flip it and sell your hotel or house that you're in. You are going to be trying to out haunt them in all of your disgusting little ways while also, you know, maybe discovering that you shouldn't be stuck to this earthly plane all along and it's time to move on. Right. Hey, you asked me to sum it up. So every one of these nasty little ghosties is going to embody the uh, unresolved issue that is binding them to the mortal world. So we get to make characters that are as wild as these perfume reviews, and then we get to ask them, like, what happened? Who hurt you? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and we get to reach out to all the original writers and see if they're still around being like, well, we're, so we're like making a game inspired by this comment that you may have written <laughs> like <laughs> at 3 a.m. <laughs> um, what do you think about this? Um, yeah, I'm really excited. And part of the goal of this also is just to make something like we want to be making things that support our existing games and draw people back to them and get more people playing them. So it's also just, you know, a way for us to make something new that's relatively, I don't want to say low commitment. I don't think this is low commitment, but it's fun and we're not committing to a timeline. We're just committing to working on it once a week. And conceivably at this stage, oh, it feels so foreboding to say this, but (laughs) I think it could be not too much work. I think it could be a reasonable, simple translation of the Day of the Man rules into something that would just be fun and quick to pull together. That would be great. Love that. I thought for us. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm very excited about Pie Girl. Very excited about Gutenberg. What was the first thing we talked about? Oh, I'm less excited about cold call emails. But it is sort of like a good grown-up thing to do. And and we're founders. We're founders. So, you know. So those are some of the things that we've been up to the past few weeks. It's kind of nice to go over it. It makes me feel like we've done things. Yeah. Yeah. And this is like, these are like the fun little weird things on top of just the other, you know, I mean, there's working on the Questlandia SRD. Like there's, there are, there are things that are higher on the list that we work on every day. Yeah, it's those things that are lower on the list that we haven't gotten to yet that are the most fun fun to think about and talk about. Of course, that's the stuff we want to talk about. So if there's something you think we should have been doing instead, (laughs) (laughs) uh, I said, this is why I said, this is why I specified there are things we're not talking about that we're doing. (laughs) Well, yeah, tell people how to get in touch with us. To if you want to recommend cool little bookstores oh, yeah, yeah. or rad little perfume reviews, you can talk to us 
through the medium of email. <laughs> go, go on. Designdocpod at gmail.com is what I would type in. That's what I, I would get do. In touch with. I know. I just realized I haven't, I don't think we've gotten an email in a really long time. And I wonder if that means we haven't gotten an email in a really long time or if my forwarder broke or something. So oh. now I feel like maybe I should check that. Help us check this. Help us check, yeah. Send so, us a test a email. Test, test. <laughs> <laughs> and Twitter too. Design Doc Pod. That's it. You're at the you're at, at our the Twitter. Twitter. The Design Doc intro outro theme was written at the behest of two CEO founders, visionaries, <laughs> and forward-looking. <laughs> like, something is different than it usually is. <laughs> yeah, I like this. Keep going. Uh, forward-thinking Imagineers who are bringing us into the next millennium. And by our friend, musician, Pat King. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Design Doc is gracing a network <laughs> that should be so happy to have our charismatic and I'm sure they are intelligent charming charming skilled improvisational <laughs> presence <laughs> they also host other great shows it's being a founder sucks <laughs> 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 They also host other great shows like Campaign. Campaign Skyjacks takes place in an original setting inspired by folktales and classic adventure fiction. James Diamato leads Liz Anderson, John Patrick Cohen, Tyler Davis, Johnny O'Mara, and, in recent episodes, Nathan Blades as they tell a tale of daring sky pirates, giant birds, and the terror of a cursed sea. It's funny, dramatic, and at times emotionally devastating. Just search for Campaign Skyjacks or James Diamato on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. So finally, we do have a Patreon, and we are going to be teasing out the earliest versions of Pie Girl. Pie Girl is what we're calling it right now. Pie Girl <laughs> is a character in a broader universe. Uh, we're going to be sharing our first drafts of all the characters and the game mechanics on our Patreon. You can get there by going to patreon.com slash turtlebun. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you again in a few weeks, heroes.